Are we on now? We're on. Fantastic. Good morning, church. Now, there's a notice. Uh, James, if you just flick that up on the screen for me, please. Healing Trauma Seminar. Now, when I say that, it probably conjures up a whole lot of thoughts, both negative, I would imagine, and maybe some positive ones as well. Probably more negative than positive, because Healing Trauma Seminar kind of is not something, wow, I really look forward to going to that. Bring it on. But let me say this. I, I wanted to do this notice this morning um, because I met with um, uh, the, the church that are going, or the team from the church that are going to be running this on February. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Uh, this, it's a um, two-day and one-night seminar um, at the um, North City Church. The reason why I wanted to talk into it is... is um, Trauma is one of those things that we probably all have experienced, and that's probably by degrees in our life at some point. I, I suspect there's probably not one, at least an adult here today, that hasn't had some sort of traumatic experience in their life. And here's the thing about trauma. When we take the opportunity to pray for people after the service, which is what we will be doing today as well, because that's what we do. We pray, we ask God to come and do what only God can do. Can I say this to you with the greatest of respect? If you've suffered a traumatic experience, that time of prayer at, in, on the front here or, wherever, or even if you're sitting where you are and you get prayed for, probably won't deal with the issue. Probably won't. And it might because God is God and he could do that. But my experience has been that more often than not, that opportunity there to be prayed for opens up the issue which is something that sits a lot more deeper inside your spirit. Trauma is one of those things that um, when you've had a negative experience that it, um, and you don't want to go there again because I don't know anybody that wakes up in the morning and says, yay, I want to experience trauma. But if you have, what we often do, this is sociology, this is what humans do, we lock it away in a box somewhere, shut the door firmly on it, hoping that it will never raise its ugly head again. But it does. And often it will when we're under pressure or emotional pressure or relational pressure or um, we're going through a difficult time in our life, maybe lost a job or, or there's a, a, a physical thing going on where we've got some bad news, that kind of thing. And what the enemy will do, because the enemy is very, very good at working in the dark, He's very good at that. And what you've locked away because of trauma, what you've shut down because of trauma, often it will burst open again and it will remind you that, hey, I'm still here. So this seminar, uh, one night and uh, two days, um, run by a woman called Sandra Selma Kirsten. Uh, Christine and I know her. Christina sat under her ministry. I had her come to all the pastors and leaders in the Wellington region when I was regional leader there to do a, a two-day, one-night seminar uh, talking about a lot of this stuff. Um, and so I trust this lady. I trust her ministry. I trust where she's coming from, her experience, tremendously experienced. So if you're someone here today that, has, that this kind of registers with you in your spirit, not necessarily in your head, but you're thinking, you know, Paul, that's kind of me. Well, come and talk to me after church. 
come and have a chat with Christine and she'll tell you um, her experience uh, sitting under um, uh, this lady's um, ministry, Sandra Selma Kirsten's ministry. She'll tell you what her experience was like with this woman and what God had done uh, in that situation. Please come talk to me. There are further details to pass on to you. So if you would like to know more, come and talk to me or send me an email. Um, I'm at work this week coming. Uh, send me an email and I will give you the rest of the information if you want to sign up for that uh, seminar in February. Does that all make sense, church? That's wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, turn, to, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 soon. Once I've had a drink of water. Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, 1 through to 12. Just put your finger there and I'll, um, uh, we'll come to that very soon. How many of you recall, um, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, which would be most of you, I would imagine, how many of you recall um, the day that you committed your life to following Christ? Put your hand up. How many of you recall that day? Wonderful. Was it traumatic? That's a joke, folks. That's a, you can laugh. It's all right. Lighten up. You know, I remember my experience vividly. Actually, actually, mine was traumatic, but in a very good sense, and I'm not going to go into that uh, this morning. But more important is this question. Why did I, on that day, decide to become a follower of Jesus? And I think that's a great question to ask yourself even today. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years, why did you actually take that step um, across the chicken line? Well, for me, there were two reasons. Firstly, on that day, because of what God had revealed to me about who he was, I was under no doubt that God was real. Can you remember that yourself? I was under no illusions that God was who he said he was, and that's a message for another day. But here's the thing. My second reason for making that decision was this. It was a free will choice. It was my choice. How many of you here respond well to being told what to do? Nobody does. And so it is with God. God never tells us what to do. God never coerces us or forces us to become a follower of Jesus, Mary. He doesn't do that. Now, he certainly encourages us to do that. But nowhere in the Bible do you find where we are forced by God in any way, shape, or form to become a follower, follower of Jesus. Because the one thing that we, we possess as humans is we have a free will. And we can choose to follow him or we can choose not to follow him. And why do you think that is? Anyone got any idea? Why should it be a free will choice? Well, here's the answer. Because if it wasn't a free will choice and I do it because I have to, chances are when the going gets tough, I'm going to bail out because it wasn't my choice. Are you with me? It has to be a free will choice. And I think this also shows us the incredible graciousness of who God is, his love for his people. He doesn't want you to follow him because you have to. He wants you to serve and follow him because you want to. And for me, that was a big deal because now I get to choose. Am I going to be a follower of Jesus 
or continue with the chaos I was living in before. That was my choice. I owned it, and the rest is history. Here we are today. See, contrary to what some people believe, mistakenly believe, God never demands our allegiance. He certainly encourages it, but he never demands it of us. And 38 years later, being a follower of Christ, I've come to understand this also. That that relationship that I began all those years ago needs to grow as well over the years, over the times that I've served him. That relationship needs to grow. It's not just about committing my life to becoming a follower of Christ. It's also about walking with him day by day, week by week, year by year, and growing that relationship with him. And it's what I will describe this morning as relational depth. Over the years, God encourages us to go deeper with him as we get to know him better. You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.13, which should come up on the screen, says it like this. Somewhere there. There it is. No, not that one, the one before, thank you. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Is that slide there? Okay. Let me read it to you. Uh, Ephesians 4.13 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That word, um, until we reach unity, the word reach implies that we can know more. We don't have to stay stuck on first base. It's not just about me giving my life to following Jesus. There is so much more. Uh, um, and he goes on to say this verse here, then when we do that, when we make that decision to not stay on first base, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. God does not operate church at a one-dimensional level. We do, humanly, we do. But God's character and nature is multidimensional. He operates outside of the limitations of time and space. We only see the here and now. From that sense, it's one-dimensional living that we live in in this earth today. It's one-dimensional, but God is omniscient. You know what the word omniscient means? Omniscience, all-knowing. God is all-knowing. Do you know everything? I do. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Nobody knows everything. But God does. He's, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's all-seeing, which means he's omnipresent. He can be here, there, with you, over, over in Thailand, where we're going in a couple of few weeks' time, everywhere, at one place, at one time. That's God. He is not limited to time and space like we are. In that sense, he is multi-dimensional. So wouldn't it be to our advantage then for us to grow more and more in our knowledge and our understanding of him and who he is? Wouldn't that be to our advantage? 
And I want to encourage you this morning that you actually can. So let's read Ezekiel 47 verses 1 through 12. Here it is. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east and the water was trickling from the south side. By the way, the person being led around is Ezekiel the prophet. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. Please notice that, ankle deep first. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist now. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough for me to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region which goes down to the Arabah, where, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of living creatures. Um, uh, large numbers of living creatures will live wherever the water flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, listen to this, everything will live. Everything will live. Even if it was dead, it will live. And actually, you could say, it will live again. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi, which flows uh, um, to En Eglam. Sounds like Edlin, doesn't it? Anyway, let's move on. Lost my place now. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. So what does all of this mean? Well, some Bible scholars see chapter 47 as a literal and future event that will find its fulfillment during Christ's second coming, during his thousand-year reign. Some scholars believe that. Others see it as symbolic of the Holy Spirit and blessing that is available now, today, right now. Here's what we know for sure. The water flowing from the temple symbolizes life from God and the healing and restoration that comes from his throne, from knowing him. That's what we do know. It's with that view in mind that we're going to approach this chapter uh, and these few verses this morning. So context, let me give you context. The theme of chapter 47 includes both Restor, uh, includes these three things, restoration, 
provision and healing. Let's all say it together. Restoration, provision, and healing. It includes those three dynamics, those three things. So for restoration, Ezekiel prophesied that God would restore the nation. We're talking about the nation of Israel here now, and this is just history, by gathering them back to their promised land. Now, we saw that happen. You know what year that was? 1948, when the Jewish state was birthed, where it it is right now. Anyone here ever been to Israel? Yep, a few of us. I encourage you, if you ever get an opportunity to go, go. Wonderful place to, uh, to visit. Go and check out the history. So that's restoration, and that has already happened for the nation of Israel, 1948. For provision, Ezekiel saw large numbers of fish for food, fruit trees producing a monthly harvest. How many, how many fruit tree grower people here in this church that have got fruit trees in their, on their land? Could you imagine every month? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's what God, it's a metaphor for provision. Every month, the fruit trees, uh, there blossom and bloom and fruit comes um, from them. He also saw a never-ending stream of water, which is symbolic of God's healing power, flowing from under the threshold of the temple. Don't miss this, church. Water in the Bible is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Always. Symbolic of life, which comes from the Holy Spirit. Under the Old Covenant, The temple was the place where God chose to take up residence among his people. But today, under the new covenant, guess what? We are that temple. Anna, you're it. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christine, you are. I am. If you're a follower of Jesus, you immediately become the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes and resides in you, in us. He takes up residence in us, church. He lives in us. What an incredible thought that the God of the universe would take up residence in me. Wow. So Ezekiel 47, the angel had a literal measuring line. We're getting there in a second. This measuring rod was a cubit. Now, a cubit um, is actually 18 inches, according to Mr. Google, or 46 centimeters in length. It's a literal length. So a 1,000 cubits, because I checked it out, a 1,000 cubits is 1,700 feet, or 46,000 centimeters. So a 1,000, no, it isn't. No, it's not. It's 52,000 centimetres. Sorry about that. So 1,000 cubits is about 1,700 feet, 52,000 centimetres. In a spiritual sense, and this is the point, 1,000 cubits is symbolic of going deeper with God, as we just read. The angel took Ezekiel for a walk from the temple and measured out four 1,000 cubit distances. Why? 1,000 foot, yeah, 1,000 cubit distances. Why? And here's what I believe. I believe the reason for that is that the angel was showing Ezekiel and he's showing us the same thing this morning. 
that in our spiritual walk, our growth, there are critical points of transition that we can choose to enter with God or choose not to. There are critical points along the way. This is not an issue of your salvation, church. When you commit your life to following Jesus, in terms of salvation, Amy, that's it. The deal is done. You're saved. Isn't that good news? It's wonderful news. But should we stay on the first base? Should we stay stuck on base one? when God has got so many more things and opportunities and um, um, a whole life ahead of us to live with him and to learn and to grow and to develop and expand our life to make the most of our time here on earth? Wouldn't it pay to step away from first base and maybe go for second, third maybe, maybe even home base? Do you think that would be a good idea? And this is what I think Ezekiel is encouraging us with this morning. So the first transition, a thousand cubits is ankle deep. So Ezekiel 47.3 should come up on the screen. There it is. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. What does ankle deep water represent? Well, I've shared with you before that the salvation experience um, is our first step. It, it's the most important step in one sense because if you don't take that step, you're not going to experience the rest. So you've got to take that first step. It's a necessary step. But church, listen to me, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. I want you to ruminate on that. It's just the beginning. Because as we walk with the Lord, we find that we can grow in our understanding of who he is. We can grow, we can go much deeper with him if we choose to do so. See, this this free will thing. It is a free will thing. If you want to stay stuck on base one, that's your choice. Is it wrong? Not necessarily, because at least you've found salvation. So is it wrong in that sense? No, it's not. But in another sense, yes, it is, because you're not experiencing the fullness of what you could have. Are you with me, church? We've got to be willing to move on from first base. So the act of salvation is the first step. And I believe that that first step is symbolic of these three things. It's the beginning of our faith journey. That's obvious. It's kind of like our understanding of spiritual things, like a babe and you're on milk rather than solid food, your understanding of spiritual things is probably limited. In fact, I can guarantee it's limited. And the third thing is, you're in the water, but you're not quite ready to swim. But you're in the water. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3 describes it this way. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. So clearly, there is an ongoing thing here. We grow into the fullness of our salvation. Peter here was speaking specifically about the reading and the feeding on God's Word. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I think last year there was a whole series on the Bible, and it was it the year before. You did a series on reading the Word of God. Was it the year before? 
year. Church, the Bible is not just any book. It's God's word to us. And not only is it his word to us, it's a living word. Hebrews 4.12 says this, it has the vital power inherent in itself and it has the ability to bring forth more life abundantly. Let me tell you something about God's word. Catch this. God's word generates life, it creates faith, it produces change, it frightens the hell out of the devil, triggers miracles, heals hurts, builds character, transforms circumstances, imparts joy, releases power, cleanses our minds, brings things into being and guarantees our future forever. That's what God's word does. How can you grow in your relationship with God if you're not reading his word? It's like anything, any relationship. There's got to be communication. There has to be a knowing, a getting to know that you, you go through a process. It's the same in marriage, same in any relationship. You've got to be willing to pick up his word and read it and understand what he is saying to you. Please hear me. The angel's first measurement was ankle deep water. Symbolic, I believe, of reading and feeding on God's word. Number two, another thousand cubits. This is now knee deep. Verse four, he measured off another thousand cubits and, and led me through water that was knee deep. What does knee deep in water speak of? Well, two things I believe. Firstly, I believe it speaks of our prayer life. This is a little bit like the... Um, um, the one before, um, the reading of God's word. Your prayer life, church, is so important. I think so many people get tied up with this whole thing of prayer. They go to a prayer meeting. This is classic. You go to a prayer meeting, and you get the spiritual giants of the church praying these wonderful prayers with wonderful language, and, and you're, kind of, you're sitting on the sidelines, Amy, and you're thinking, gee whiz, I can't pray like that. And so you say nothing. Well, maybe they're a little bit further along the track than you are, but you know what prayer is? Let me put it to you very simply. Prayer is simply communication, you talking with God, having a chat. That's all it is. It's just talking with God. Not talking at God, by the way. Talking with God. It's relational. That's all prayer is. Your prayers can be verbal, they can be silent, they can be long or short, they can be public or they can be private. You can pray anywhere, anytime about anything. Folks, there is nothing mysterious about prayer. It's simply you and God having a corridor, having a chat. That's it. It's like any relationship. How can you grow that relationship with him? if you're not talking to him, if you're not talking with him, if you're not having, having conversation. You can't. But it also speaks of us also beginning to understand better the things of God when we go into knee-deep water. We're getting a bit deeper in now. You know, when I hear someone say, you know, Paul, I just can't understand the Bible, chances are they're still probably paddling around in ankle-deep water. Chances are they're probably still on base one. 
Well, if that's what you're willing to settle for, and many people do, that's your choice. That's a free will choice. God's not going to hit you with a big stick because you're happy to stay ankle deep. You can do that. You are saved. You're not going to lose your salvation because you don't go knee deep and further on. But man, church, there is so much more if you're willing to go that next thousand cubits, as we will see. There's so much more that God has for us. Let's read on. Another thousand cubits. Now it's waist deep, verse four. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. Now in the Bible, another word um, to understand the word waist is the word uh, loins. In Job 38, God said to Job, now gird up your loins like a man. In biblical thought, it's a phrase um, uh, used to tell someone to get ready for hard work or battle. Back in the Old Testament. Gird up your loins, uh, uh, Job, was it? Yes, gird, Job, gird up your loins, Job, because I'm getting you ready for battle. I'm getting you ready for something that's going to be a bit of a challenge for you, so get ready. Waist deep, I believe, is a metaphor then for strength, to strengthen oneself. It's being in a place where your belief in God is settled and it's solid. You are confident. You are sure about what you believe. No one's going to come along and knock you off your stride. When they say, well, this, God's not real and the Bible's a load of rubbish, you can just simply say, well, I believe he is real and it's not rubbish and move on. It doesn't upset you. You don't get all flustered about it. You don't have an argument or a fight or anything like that. You are settled in your spirit. There is a strength about your knowledge, your understanding of who you are in God, and there it is, and you're not going to budge. We're talking waist deep here. You know, at this relational depth, one is able to negotiate with godly confidence, and this is so important, not arrogance, church, but godly confidence. And there is a difference between the two. Arrogance is a human thing. And we all know people that fall into that category. But godly confidence is another thing altogether. Godly confidence is a certainty, a surety in your spirit. doesn't matter what comes at you, what people say about you or to you or over you, you know that you are a follower of Jesus. I am a child of God no matter what. That's godly confidence. World of difference between the two. But loins also speaks of reproduction, obviously. We're talking about this part of the human anatomy. Listen to this. Um, Hebrews 7.10 says, Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi, Levi was still in the loins of his ancestor. Now Levi was a descendant of Abraham yet to be born. He hadn't even been born. But according to um, Hebrews 7.10, he was in or still in the loins of his ancestor. So loins is a metaphor describing the reproduction of spiritual children. This speaks of one becoming a soul winner. We're now not ankle deep, 
um, we're, 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 um, we're past knee deep, we are, um, we are waist deep now, and there is a confidence in who you are that you're going to share your faith. If someone will listen to you, you're going to share your faith. And if they get upset at you, Heather, well, so what? They get upset, I'll just move on and go to Starbucks and have another coffee. Go talk to someone else. It's having a confidence about that. It's not being, being easily swayed or pushed around. So you're sharing your faith with other people. Um, our friends and, and family and, and, and spiritual children coming as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ. How many here have had the enormous privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ? Probably most of you. You know what, church? We need to see that every Sunday, don't we? Every day of the week, don't we? Put up your hand if you've never done that. No, don't do. Don't put your hand up. It speaks of becoming a soul winner. And the final picture, another thousand cubits. All in. All in. What do you, what do you think that means? You tell me. What do you think all in means? Yeah, Matt? Yep. Yeah, while you're here on earth. That's right. All in, no matter what. Anyone else got some thoughts? What's all in? Yep, up the back. Robin? No? <laughs> Thank you. Yep. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Not arguing with people. Not fighting over the fact that Jesus is real, just saying, do you want to hear what I, what I know? Are you willing to listen to what God's done in my life? And if they're not willing to listen, move on. Go talk to someone else. Yeah, John. Yep. That's right. Well, you, you can stop now because you've just stolen the rest of the message. Thanks for nothing, John. <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely right. Just one more. We've got one more. What does it mean? Yep. Yeah. That is so good, Paul. That is so good. So accurate. I remember when I first started swimming lessons, I was about three or four. And um, for me, as long as my feet could touch the bottom, I was okay. Do you remember that? Remember the, as long as my feet could, uh, and I felt secure about that. Even, even if the water was up to here, as long as my feet was on solid ground, I was okay. But as soon as the instructor said to me, now lift your feet off the bottom of the pool, that's when I got a little bit nervous. I didn't want to do that. But he or she encouraged me to do that. And you know what? When I did, then I learned how to swim. You can't learn how to swim if you're standing on the bottom of the pool. You actually have to lift your feet and trust that you're going to be okay. Stay with me on this. So it is with God. Here's where you're in his presence and you're choosing 
free will again. You are choosing to fully trust in him. You're aware of what's happening, but in your spirit, you know that he is real. You're confident that God has got you, and you are ready to put your full trust in him. Church, that is so different when, you are, when you're all in from being at first base where you've just committed your life to following Jesus, ankle deep. You can stay ankle deep. Please, please hear me on this. I, I am not putting that down in any way because the most important thing in life to me is that you're saved. That's critical. That, I mean, everything hinges on that. But there's more to this decision to follow Jesus that I made when I was 28 than staying on base one. There's a lot more to it than that. And over the years, and Christine and I have learned together in pastoral ministry, there are relational depths that we can go with God if we choose to do so. In our case, we did. And the rest is history. You don't have to stay on base one. You can go deeper and deeper with him. So all in is you're aware of what's happening. I want to repeat this. You know what's going on. It's not that you are ignorant of what's going on around you. You are aware of what is happening. And you know that he is real. You're confident. And you're willing to put your full trust in him. Can I have the music team up, please, Amy? I actually changed my mind about that song. Um, where's the list? I think... Haven't we got wonderful music teams here? Wonderful worship leaders. Just love them to bits. They're awesome. Let me show you one more thing that Ezekiel saw as the, as the music team are getting ready. One more thing. If you go back to verse 1, uh, and it should come up on the screen. The water source came from under the threshold of the temple. This is really important. It says here, The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. In our natural world, um, unless there are contributing um, streams or sources of water, when water begins to flow from its source, if there, unless there are contributing sources, so we've just got the one source of water flowing, nothing contributing to it. When that happens in our natural world, the further the water flows from its source, the more it diminishes, yeah? Because it gets absorbed into the ground. This is the natural world. Would you agree with that? No contributing streams, just the one source. But that's not true with God. Isn't it always God is the complete opposite? That's not true with God. What Ezekiel saw as the river, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, as it advanced further without contributing sources, it got deeper. Didn't diminish. It got deeper and deeper and deeper. Ankle, um, knee deep, waist deep, and then over their heads. As it flowed further, 
it grew fuller. What that tells me is this. As we go deeper with God, the more his spirit empowers us to do what only he can do through us as we go deeper with him. Full immersion is about experiencing all that God has for you, for you, for you, for you, for me. Full immersion is about experiencing everything that God has for us. Who wants to stay on first base? I don't. So I reckon then, church, the title of this message this morning is, How Deep Can You Go With God? I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question is, how deep are you willing to go with God? You see, the deeper we go with God, the more we understand Him. And the more we understand Him, the more we put our trust in Him and our trust grows as you understand who He is. And the more our trust in God grows, the more we are empowered to live this earthly life. So the real question is, how deep are you willing to go with God? Well, just close your eyes, please. And I'm only asking you to close your eyes, not because it's super spiritual or it's something special. It's not. But it helps you just to focus on what I'm going to say without distraction. Just close your eyes. So the question is, how deep are you willing to go with God? Whatever thought came into your spirit when I asked that question, there's your answer. Don't complicate it. Don't try to overthink it. That will be your heart response. Whatever you said it then in your spirit, that would be your response. You see, my experience has been this. When I gave my life to Jesus, that was a wonderful experience and it was a physical thing that happened. It was bells and whistles and everything else. But that was just the beginning. I've been on this journey for a few years now. And I've learned over these years that there's so much more that God has for me. So much more that God had for me. And it's true for you too. Whatever you have experienced thus far in your walk with God, God has more for you. If you choose to take another step, if you choose to go further, you can open your eyes now. God has more. God is limitless. He's not constrained by time and distance and um, the restrictions that we experience here in life. God has so much more for you, sir. You, ma'am, so much more. And you know what else I've learned? He's good. He's a good God. He's faithful. He always does what he says. I think, and I have experienced this as well from time to time, um, the times when I've kind of got stuck, it's not because God changed his mind, it's because I decided to stay on that base. And when I stepped away from that, 
then God began whatever it was that He had promised for my life. His goodness and His mercy and His grace kicked in again and I was able to move on and, and receive what it is that He had. Please stand to your feet. So the God we serve is not somebody that um, every time we make a mistake, He's going to, it's a black mark against your name. Please know this, because God is omniscient, omniscient, all-knowing, He knows what you've done, and He also knows what you're going to do. Isn't that scary? <laughs> he also knows, yet He still loves you. He still calls you. He still has a place for you, just for you. There is a place in His plan and His purpose in His kingdom that only your shape and your size, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, you as a person, your personality is the only one that can fill that slot. No one else can fill it, only you. And it's reserved for you. My encouragement to you this morning, take your place. Take your place. Take your rightful place with God. If He's calling you to step away from first base, from ankle deep to knee deep, trust Him. You won't be disappointed. If He's saying, you're knee deep, but I want you to go waist deep, that's reproduction. You know, He's got something else for you and leading people to faith, perhaps something you haven't done before, trust Him. Go waist deep with Him. And then He might be saying, wow, well done. What about all in? Well, John, go all in. Go all in. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never be left hanging in midair. You'll never be left holding the baby, so to speak. God will be with you all the way. He is faithful and He is true. So, we're going to, Amy's going to lead us in this song, the third one we changed. Uh, thank you, Amy. Yep, <laughs> yes. As we're, as we're singing this song, so the, the reason why we do music, uh, again, music is not super spiritual or anything like that. It just creates an atmosphere where we can connect in our own personal way with the Holy Spirit. It creates an atmosphere for that. Um, and I encourage you, if God is speaking to you this morning, we would love to pray with you and for you. We've got a whole prayer team here um, that, are, that, are, that we've trained up for this kind of thing. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray for you and with you. Please come down during the song or after it, we'll do that. And as Robert said, there is um, ice cream sundae out in the cafe. There is food from this wonderful couple here who's their first wedding anniversary. So they're celebrating that with us. Um, we look forward to that as well most important thing I want you to hear. If God is speaking to you this morning, don't hesitate, don't delay. Right, church? Yep, leave the rest up to you and God. Thank you, Amy. <laughs>